This week on Tech Radio, Rogue AI. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week, online and on air with RT Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. You're very welcome to episode 974. Today, we're chatting with the CTO of Yofis about their computer-automated summarization and learning tool, which is brilliant. We also have news on a mobile phone super merger, a brilliant use for AI in games, and Apple have announced Foundation 2. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining us as ever is our Editor-in-Chief, uh, Niall Kitson. I suppose the big story as we record, Niall, is just coming out today. Vodafone and three are to merge to make a super mobile phone operator. Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of grasped their chests and fell over when they heard this. And then all of then very quickly there was a whisper in the air, it's in the UK. There you go. <laughs> it's not here. Different exactly. operations. Don't worry. Yeah, it may be a different operation, but actually the guy who's running three in the UK is the same guy who runs uh, three here in Ireland. And he's an Irish guy, Robert Finnegan. Mm-hmm. And he has yep. been telling uh, anybody and everybody, they're saying that the reason why they're merging, and this is what will make you laugh, okay? The mm-hmm. reason Vodafone and three are merging in the UK is that the UK is too small to make an investment in. For either no, of the God company. Say. I'm serious. Because Vodafone are, they start in Germany. They're now a global company. I think they operate in almost every country except the United States, I believe. Uh, and then three are uh, owned by Hutchinson, something or the other, who are in Hutchinson Hong Kong. There you go. Grant. So they're global as well. So these are big global companies. And when you're a global company, you look at somewhere like the UK and you go, 60 million. Yeah. You know, they used to look at things on a, on a continental scale. So I kind of get what they're, what, what they're saying. But then it makes me feel really small here in Ireland. <laughs> We've got what, 5 million. I mean, if they think the UK is small, what must they think of us? But anyways, it is interesting. Uh, after the merger has been completed, if it's approved by the Competition Authority, 27 million customers is what they will have in the UK. That's half the population on a single that, line mobile so phone So that would network. be, you know, by quite a stretch, the, the biggest network oh, over there. However, yeah. uh, as we know, with the Competition of Markets Authority, they have no fear of clamping down on mergers that they think would be bad for business and bad for yes. choice, bad for the consumer. Uh, we've seen it with Activision Blizzard. Um, we're gonna we're gonna see something very similar uh, with here. I think right. there will certainly be an intense amount of scrutiny um, because that would be you know Activision Blizzard, uh, you know Microsoft, um, three uh, Vodafone, and uh, what was the other one? Giphy. And mm. Facebook quite recently, you know, Facebook lost a ton of money on that failed Giphy acquisition. So, you know, it's it's not outside the realms of possibility that this deal will not go through. Now, let's get talking about rogue AI. Um, I, I yeah. kind of like that description, and I'll tell you the reason why I, I picked rogue AI, because this week, I mean, really the big story is that the EU have been working for a long time on what they call the AI Act, and we discussed this before. We had uh, Brian, was, uh, Brian McElliott. That's it, from Mason Hayes and Curran, uh, and he was on with us in April talking about the AI Act. Um, and now the EU, after two years, have 
published the bill and it's getting to a stage now where it will be discussed at high EU level and then hopefully agreed by the end of the year and it becomes law. That's it. They don't have to wait yeah. to transpose it into Irish law or uh, I nearly said UK law. Sure, they're not in it anymore. <laughs> different thing <laughs> um, now. You know, France, Germany, whatever, uh, everywhere uh, around Europe. And one of the things it is going to do is it's bringing in some regulation into this whole area of AI. So things that are kind of going on in the world that are not very savoury will be banned, including uh, AI that remotely monitors people in real time in public spaces. Uh, and I'm thinking of facial recognition because I was telling you before about uh, a demo I saw from an Israeli company and they were doing facial recognition at a football match and they were able to recognize somebody's face, match it with a name and then follow that person around as they went through the 27 different uh, security cameras. It was like mind blowing, totally mm. mind blowing. That will be banned um, as will the process of scraping photos. Do you remember we had this uh, about a year or two back? Um, where especially in America where companies were scraping photos from social media so they'd log into Facebook mm-hmm. and they'd get everybody's uh, photograph and they'd have a name and then they'd put that into a database and then they'd flog it to the cops oh wow so then essentially if you know somebody showed up on CCTV they would then put it into this database and then they would shop their own people absolutely um so that's going to be banned as well. They're also going to ban uh, AI generating illegal content. Now, they plan well, on doing that? I've no idea. Given given that, like we know that large language models were trained on bodies of data like Reddit, like the Enron email corpus, this sort of thing. Bodies of information that were never put together for the purpose that it's being used for. Uh, we're seeing it in AI art now. Other people's work being put together, uh, repackaged, redesigned by other people. I, there's actually um, a service called Midnight Cafe. Uh, and I got I got an email basically, you know, come try us. You know, we're, we're opening up. Um, see, see what amazing things you can do through AI generated art. Just ask the questions. I sat there thinking, actually, questions do I ask? Like, what, what do I want to see? Like that, what would me looking for something new and interesting look like? Um, and I was stumped, I have to admit. So, you know, this is part of the artistic impulse, you know, what idea do you want to explore? What, what sort of aesthetic do you want to apply? Um, you can't have everything looking like Blade Runner. I mean, come on. (laughs) <laughs> true enough, true enough. Uh, all the things that they are talking about at EU level is uh, deep fakes, which they're saying mm-hmm. is now going to have to say they're deep fake, which I don't think is ever going to happen. <laughs> no. Um, that's, that, that's almost like, uh, you know, you, you go into a, a shop with, um, uh, we'll, we'll say like a bad photo ID and they go, is this really you, sir? Yeah, 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 yeah. True enough, true enough. Actually, do you know what? There is, there is now the EU are way ahead on the, on the legislation side of things, but they are kind of catching up a little bit in, in the States. And one of the things that's being proposed over there is about deep fakes. And they're trying to get a law passed so that if a deep fake ruins a reputation, okay, uh, mm-hmm. that the creator of the deep fake and the developer of the tool they used to create the deep fake will both be held responsible. Great. Very interesting idea. 
Very However, interesting. Where do you think an awful lot of the people creating such misinformation are based? Well, they're certainly States. not in America. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, well, that's that's the problem. But you need to have some kind of a deterrent. And in the uh, unlikely case that you catch somebody, at least you know what to do with them, I suppose. That's, it's better than well, having nothing. I always say that. Better like, than like having nothing. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> there's an awful lot of bored 17-year-old men in the world. Or it's there you go. Kids and there you go. There you go. Uh, a lot of these tools you kind of think might be as useful to the police. I think there is something in the EU legislation where AI can be used by the police. Uh, and even the biometric ID and the facial recognition and stuff like that. But it has to be registered. And the problem that people are having with facial recognition is the incredible bias and lack of accuracy when it comes to people of color. Uh, and again, this comes to data that these models are trained on. If you train a model based on, you know, white Caucasians, that's what mm. you're that's what you're going to be very good at recognizing. Uh, yeah. However, uh, if you are not training these models with appropriately balanced data, you're not going to get appropriately balanced answers. Um, hence there are appalling examples of mistaken identity. Uh, online or even, you know, I, I think there is one or two horrible instances of animals being used to, uh, for their, how would you say, similarity to people. Oh my goodness. Yes. Now I'm catching up with what now, you're saying. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I'm being, I'm being uh, careful, then, but yeah. that's, uh, that, that has happened. Yeah. Um, anyway, all of that AI stuff is going through at the moment. They publish it this week. Uh, and as I say, uh, they're hoping to have it all agreed and effective by 2023. Uh, if it is by the end of the year, then AI companies will have two years to comply with the new legislation. And mm -hmm. uh, the fines, as we have seen with GDPR, have been huge. Uh, the fines will be even bigger with AI. So if you are found to be in breach, you could be... I can't. I can't remember. You you saw it somewhere the actual numbers. It's uh, yeah six six percent of global turnover as opposed to four percent for GDPR, uh, which when you th when you factor in that people are saying that AI is potentially an existential threat, mm. then you've got to have regulation with teeth. And we have had um, the likes of OpenAI go out in front of the EU and go, "Yay, regulation! Great, fantastic idea." Mm. By the way, please don't regulate us so much. <laughs> As as you can imagine, these these companies uh, would do. Um, I mean, it all comes down to risk. Um, this is a risk based approach to AI. How mm. much are you willing to hand over? How much do you consider this technology to be trustworthy? Um, and part of that, you know, accuracy, which is which is what we want, which comes down to the data sets that we're actually um, that they're actually learning from. Uh, we have to manage the data that they are being uh, trained on. Uh, and make sure it adheres to a certain standard. There has to be a human oversight because there is no substitute for common sense yet when it comes to AI. I mean, we all we've all done the computer says no thing. Mm. We've all we've all enjoyed those skits in the past, but that's that's pretty much what can happen when you're dealing with an AI with no ability to you know negotiate or appreciate context or that sort of thing. And um, another huge thing with it is transparency. And this is, uh, you know, something going back years at this stage. We want to know if something is being used on it, what's in the box? What What is actually being used on us? And these companies have been very uh, cagey about it, mm. actually enough going, hang on, this is our black box. We're not going to tell you what it is. 
or what you, what data we're taking from you. you know, very much, again, the American model. You create the data on our platform, we own it. Um, as opposed to European model, your data is being used on someone else's platform. You deserve to know what is on that platform and yeah. what it, and how it works. So massive as well. And of course, uh, record keeping, both uh, on a technical level, mm. but also on a personal level as well. Because as with GDPR, uh, we know that as soon as data stops being relevant for the purpose it was gathered for, it has to be destroyed. Yeah. And is it ever is uh, the question. However, I think uh, I think the good thing about all of this uh, rules and regulations, even though I'm not a fan of rules and regulations, but if there are none, you have anarchy. So at least to have some kind of uh, uh, post there, as it were. Elsewhere in news this week, Paul McCartney of the Beatles has been uh, making noise. Do you remember we played a small snippet of uh, an AI clone of two singers, uh, Drake and The Weeknd? Okay, two people who would probably yeah. never do a duet. Yeah. And we played it, uh, much to the uh, disappointment of the record companies who've been trying to delete this thing off the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul McCartney now, Paul McCartney is getting in uh, and using AI. He's got some old tapes, as I'm sure he's got lots of old tapes, of John Lennon. And mm-hmm. he's training an AI voice to sing the same way that John Lennon would have sung. And the idea is that eventually it will be released as a song. Hmm. Okay, Which I think the royalties is, going to who? Uh, well, I think the Lennon answer family, to that, I think actually, do you know what? Uh, good question. Who would the royalties go to? The royalties would go to Paul McCartney. The, sorry, the reason why you've got me thinking is because mm. I believe Paul McCartney's and the other Beatles sold the rights to their music a long time ago. All right. Exactly. So they wouldn't get a penny. But this is a new work, completely new work. So whatever the deal. Look, uh, whoever. The the thing is, is that he is taking all of these old tapes. He's training an AI to sing like his uh, former bandmate uh, who's no longer with us. And uh, it could be very interesting to see what happens with this in the hands of a professional with a bank load of money to be able to mm. develop this and do it at a, a very high level. So it could be quite interesting. Also mm. uh, happening in the news this week. Now, here's uh, two small little bits before we get into our interview. One, because you're a gamer. Uh, non-playing uh, characters are kind of a bit meh, naff in the background. Or if you ever have to go up to a non-playing character just to get some information, there's a script. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So what they're talking about now is that they're going to use AI to bring these uh, non-playing characters to life so that you can go up and you don't have to follow the script. You will ask it whatever. And then based on what your question is and the knowledge it has, it will give you a response. Yeah, but the response the will be different really every time. non-player characters uh, or NPCs, if you, if you want to sort of save some time, Dusty. Um, yeah. And previously, well, previously, I mean, you can pretty much tell the importance of a character based on the amount of dialogue they have, what their, what mm. their scripting is. Uh, if, however, you get to the stage where you can natter away with any character for potentially the same length of time without getting anything of value from it, uh, this can certainly change the way games are played, um, perhaps not for the better, perhaps generating an awful lot of frustration out there. Um, sort of, who should I talk to in this room? Uh, who's actually important? What questions should I ask as per ChatGPT? 
What mm. are the trigger questions? What will mm. give you the best answers? Mm. Um, I think I think that's really interesting. You will have to have schema for every character if you're going to use AI in them with them. Um, so yeah, I don't know, Dusty. I mean, this rings true of a certain movie that you are very fond of. <laughs> Free Guy with Ryan yeah. Reynolds. Yeah, 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 great movie. Thoroughly enjoy that, like, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's really interesting uh, to do that because the AI character or that non-playing character will have a certain amount of information. So if you're able to ch- chat to it in a more natural way, I think will make the game a lot more interesting. However, that was just one thing we came across during the week. Final bit of uh, news for you is Apple TV have now put the trailer for Foundation Series 2 onto YouTube. Um, I mean, Foundation, as we all know, is a classic series of books from Isaac uh, Asimov. Mm -hmm. And this series is going to be set 100 years after the first series, which Mm -hmm. many people have already seen. Uh, Yared Harris uh, still in the lead role, so I suppose there's good consistency there. I do like Yared as a as uh, an actor. The whole thing goes live on July the 14th. And asterisk, asterisk with a new episode every week, which is why I Hmm. won't be watching it. (laughs) Oh, now you see the first series of Foundation and you've watched it. um, It took a bit of a, you know, uh, I I don't want to say critical beating or anything like that, but you know, uh, some people didn't like it because they thought it was quite po-faced. Maybe a bit too serious. Boring is the word you're looking for. Boring. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Well, because that's what there I, was two two things, right? Because uh, yep. I, I love I love the series. Okay, mm. and I really wanted to see it uh, as a TV show, or if it was made into a movie. It's too big to be a movie, but um, I was really looking forward to it. And number one was I just found it was just dragged out. It was too boring. It, you had to wait till every Friday for a new episode, and then like after the third or fourth show, I just forgot about it. Oh, interesting. Because at the same time that that finally reached our screens, we had the adaptation of Dune. We had Denis Villeneuve's Dune, uh, of which we're getting part two uh, in the very near future, Mm. um, which was absolutely wonderful. A massive epic sweep to it. Wonderful production design. Just fantastic vision of the future. Completely, well, not completely alien to our society, but I mean, certainly, you know, a, a different way of running the show. Um, and it's absolutely fantastic. And I wouldn't have really had much inclination to read the books because they are quite big. Um, mm. But uh, Dune, I have really enjoyed. Did you did you see it? No, no. I recommend I thought, it. Go see thought, Dune. It won't bore you. Uh, I saw, uh, I don't know, decades ago, there was a, a movie version of it. And, uh, there was, again, it yeah. Be, maybe, maybe uh, whatever. Anyway, listen, There's actually is... a really good, uh, really good documentary, uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. Um, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, a very famous Mexican surrealist film uh, maker, mm-hmm. uh, at one point was in discussions to make uh, a vision of Dune that was quite different to what David Lynch ended up uh, producing for the big screen. Mm. Uh, a film that is uh, kind of, I suppose it has its adherents, it has its fans, but uh, certainly not considered, you know, the true vision of uh, of the book. Now, that is the news for this week. Though I don't know whether it's news or like a counselling session because at the end of it there, while we were talking about Foundation, you kept going, interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. This is Tech Radio 
from techcentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. Earlier this year, Enterprise Ireland announced the 15 graduates of its New Frontiers program for startups. One of those successful companies is Yofus, which has developed an AI summarization and learning tool. Al Kitson caught up with their chief technology officer, Tiernock O'Reilly, to find out how it works. Tiernock, we often see great businesses founded on you know, great ideas. So how did your great idea come about with Yofish? Yeah, so it, it kind of started way back. Um, I've always been pretty much a terrible student. Uh, I leave all my, all my study to the end. I forget it, I postpone it and I do it in a frantic rush. Um, and this, I, the first concrete event with this really bit me was I was away on exchange um, in Switzerland and I came away from that anyway like six months early with four failed exams and three were top marks and I was sitting on the plane home watching the Alps fade away I was like I can't keep doing this this is crazy I'm going to figure something out so yeah over the next like seven months where I was working in software waiting to go back to uni um, I kind of drafted together sort of a sort of a software approach of a few different things that I was trying and that were working. And um, that was the sort of original thing. And then in my final year of college, uh, so the year after I came back then, uh, I picked a final year project where the, the, the project coordinator had put forward an idea of flashcards automatically generated from text of like casual reading. And I was like, this is a cool idea, but I think we could do more. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the, the first time where that started coming together. And like the final sort of pivot of what we're doing now um, became, came a few months ago uh, down, in, down here in Cork in, on the New Frontiers program, where it was just it was a lot of research coming at me. And I realized that the problem that we've been having all along and I was trying to solve with, with flashcards, with automatic generation, was one of was one of data. It was too much data. And we were trying to sort it and figure out what is the most important thing I need to do right now, the most important thing I need to read, and then the next important and the next important. So that's what we've been working on since then. How have we gone about solving the problem of having really important stuff that you need to remember on top as opposed to presenting kind of wholesale amounts of information. Yeah, so it's, and I know this is a, a, a very tech-centric podcast, but I think it relies on the human. Um, fundamentally, it's, you could call it a lo, sort of like low-tech, married with high-tech approach. What we do is we give a best effort prioritization and then provide like a brief snapshot, like a, a summary across various dimensions of an individual uh, source of data, like like a, a journal article or something like that. And then we prioritize those in a list um, and then give them to the, the subject matter experts, um, whatever subject that might be. For example, if they're uh, environmental sustainability investment consultant, they will have particular specialties. So they will know better than any model we can train 
um, what exactly is useful to them. So we use like large language models to prioritize this stuff to, well, to summarize it, to give a brief glimpse of it. And then we provide various metrics, various numeric metrics um, and uh, brief summary words to the user to make the final call on what's important or what's not. That's really interesting because the, looking at large language models, we are getting used to the idea of everything being in place and all you have to do is interrogate it to get the information you want. Uh, of course, with Google Bard, we're seeing a little bit more detail on that now. So it's it's something that you guys have kind of baked into uh, into the solution. Uh, and I think that's, that's a really interesting development. You've sort of touched upon there. I mean, the problem came from an, an academic background, but there's applications in an awful lot of industries as well. So if you can tell us a little bit about how that's working. Yeah, so it's it originally it was academic and the te- temptation is, you know, this is the world I know, this is the world I'm going to work for. Um, but I think that would be leaving a lot of people out of the loop that could benefit from this. Um, so where we've found this to have a home is in research, yes, but in also in industrial research, and um, so for large corporations, and um, in with investment consulting, and um, so people come in and tell you where the best place to put your funds are because there's a lot of information involved. There are a lot of novel research information, um, and that that's really like the the characterizer of our of our customers of well of the people we've been talking with. Um, and have been most interested and have gotten the most use out of it. It's for people who do novel research who have to collect information from across a multitude of sources. And then in that, it, in a sense, it's for everybody because we're all researchers now. We're all surrounded with this like vast ocean of data coming at us every second. Um, and we kind of all need to need help to prioritize it. It's just with some people that help is more directly d- tied um, that need is more directly tied to their job, to what to do day to day. I suppose tied to that is that sort of personalized journey as well. Not not so much just picking the sort of the, the sources you want to work with, but managing your learning schedule or, or the style of learning that you're going to be adopting. Yeah. Yeah. And we do like we do that end of it as well. So the, the prioritization comes in and you have your stuff, you've digested it, you've created and some form of data on top of that, like notes and some sort of conclusions. And then we structure it and we deliver to you the stuff that you say you want to learn, you know, that you're going to need. And we we do deliver that in like a, a learning form on a schedule. Because, um, yeah, it is, it's all connected top to bottom, like. So looking at sort of the, the reception that you've gotten from the market, you've already gone through a student program in Nova UCD where you were very successful. You've just finished Enterprise Ireland's New Frontiers program uh, at NTU. So clearly there's an appetite for this kind of solution. How has your business journey been on this? So my business journey, um, my personal one from uh having like a very prejudiced view as a, like an engineer um, for people doing business. Um, that's totally flipped on its head. Um, our business journey 
um, has been going really well. Um, far better than I thought it was, it was going to go when I was, you know, doing a project in, in college. Um, but yeah, we, we don't have any paying customers yet, but we have customers, which is so nice. Um, uh, the only barrier stopping us is getting the next version of the product out. So we have, like, we've had a few alphas out and now it's time for a beta that I would feel comfortable charging for. So that's coming out in the next few months. And so really excited about that, obviously. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where our business journey is. And it kind of, like, as you said, yeah, the various programs were really helpful. Um, and particularly New Frontiers down here in Cork, it's just the chance to work full time on the project and, and get paid uh, was just brilliant. And I said, like, it's not just the money. Um, it's also the people that they, you're surrounded with. They're all so interested in you, in your business. Um, and they're all so knowledgeable. They just really want to help. And the other participants in the program as well, all these fascinating backgrounds. Like it's such a diverse group of people, the most diverse group of people I've ever been in. And they're all focused on making, on helping you, on helping your business succeed. It's brilliant. Lastly, let's look at uh, a bit at sort of uh, bringing the product to market, bringing the solution to market. Um, you're relying an awful lot on feedback from uh, companies you work with, from people that you've put out the alpha version to. How have you found um, your ability to integrate that feedback? Has the product been as flexible as you hoped or will it require a little bit more work to get it fine-tuned? Um, both. <laughs> uh, it's... It is very flexible to development because we're using a, well, now we're using a particular um, low code solution. Uh, before I was, well, we were just building everything in React, um, and which is, you know, like, I'm not going to knock React. I'm not mad. Like, it's brilliant. But speed of iteration is just too slow. And um, so we switched to a low code thing and it's just, like, like the schedule is someone will give us feedback on a Monday and I will have first version of that integrated on a Wednesday and then full version on a Friday. Like, it's just brilliant. You can just come back around so quickly. And that was Niall Kitchen chatting with the Chief Technology Officer from Yofus, Tiernach O'Reilly. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Before we go, we have time for one more thing. Here's Steve, direct from heaven. Thanks, Dusty. Extra stories on our website this week include Maynooth University getting a new robotics lab, ServiceNow have outlined some big plans for Dublin, and AWS has shared some of their ideas on AI and how they will be totally different from everyone else. You get all that now on the world's second best website, after Apple.com, of course, at techcentral.ie. Thanks, Steve. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra or get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. Until then, for myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Nile Kitson, as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.